0: Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.
2: Welcome into to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pram. Eric Scopo is with me as always. And today is a Wednesday, which means you guys have sent in your requests. You guys have sent in uh your questions and we have answers. And before we get to today's mailbag, I want to remind Duck fans, go out there and subscribe to DuckTerritory.com. It's only one dollar for your first month. And then it goes to $9.95. Uh, and once you go to the full price, you get CBS all access with your membership for free. So that means you get access to the streaming platform that CBS has. 10,000 shows, movies, live sports, all commercial free. All for free with your subscription to Duck Territory com uh eric let's get this show under the wheelie.
0: all right first question from at scoducks 58 what incoming freshmen do you see as day one starters if none who will we see first rise to that starting status um i think there's one obvious one here and that's probably justin flow uh you know you think about that defense only two starters lost both at the linebacker position you bring in a guy like Justin Flo, and he has already said um, with his time at the Poly Bowl that he's kind of eyeing that Troy Dye starting spot. Um, he'll, he'll be here for the second part of spring. Um, just a player that makes a ton of, of sense in terms of getting a starting spot. Um, one of the more talented players nationally, um, and, and with a position that you know he played in high school basically available, it just feels like that's pretty logical. I think the other one to me would be the second highest rated player in this class, Noah Sewell. Um, maybe fitting into that outside linebacker spot that Bryson Young gave up. Um, maybe if he's good enough pushing to start on the defensive line or at another spot at linebacker, um, you know I don't think he's gonna start the season uh, necessarily over a, a veteran player, but maybe like Kayvon, he works his way into that rotation. but I think Justin Flos the obvious one. Other than that, I think offensively it's hard to really see anyone. Maybe a Chris Hudson pushes for a starting wide receiver spot. None of the running backs really look like they'll push for it. I guess Jay Butterfield has a possibility at quarterback, but um, I think Flo is really the, the one that makes the most sense, and, and then Noah Sewell as well. Anyone else, Matt, that jumps out to you? I think that speaks
2: to the volume of the talent that this coaching staff has assembled at Oregon, that Oregon has the 11th best class in the country. They've got three five-star recruits, and there's really only one or two guys that you can definitively say, like, yeah, he's probably going to start day one. Uh Justin Flo being the guy, I agree with you there. Noah Sewell, I I agree with you as well that he could be one that works his way into the starting lineup at some point during the season. A a couple guys to keep note on that are further down the depth chart, or I guess down the list of uh, commits, TJ Bass, um, the number one ranked offensive guard in the junior college ranks for 2020. He could come in and start right away because – Warmack is gone. Shane Lemieux is gone. Jake Hansen are gone. Your, inter- your entire interior offensive linemen are all gone and graduating. Um, and Bass has the ability to play center. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if he shows up day one uh, and wins a starting spot as a junior college transfer, uh, either at center or uh, at guard. And then I, I think another guy um, that gets lost in the shuffle because he's not a high school guy and he's not a junior college guy, uh, is Devin Williams, a guy that transferred to the football team during the middle of this past season. Uh, and I think at receiver, he has that ability to make an instant impact for the Ducks. Uh, he's six foot four, he's 205 pounds, he's a big time athlete, long range, high catch radius. Wouldn't surprise me either if, uh, he kind of slides into um, Juwan Johnson's role that he had last season for the Ducks.
0: Yeah, a couple of guys there that are not freshmen that make a lot of sense too. And, and Devin Williams, I think we're going to talk about him later in the podcast. There's a couple of questions specifically about him, but that's somebody who uh, I, I think you have to be really excited about if you are an Oregon fan. Uh, he's you're right. He's not technically a, an incoming freshman, but he is a new player and somebody to be very much aware of, um, especially with this offense needing a couple of playmakers, like you said, with a couple of guys going out um second question from at d Moore underscore 44 do you see mikhail wright taking one of the starting cornerback spots from either thomas Graham or DeAndre lenore i know they can play all three in certain packages but it seems like wright's upside is higher than both Graham and lenore pff top returning cornerbacks had wright sixth Graham 15th and lenore 30th so d more coming here with some data as well and, and good data and i, I mean, that's actually something that stood out to i know we saw all this and we posted it on the site from pff earlier this week with the how highly they rated they have Oregon second I think jo- uh, Javon Holland was number second, uh, number two on that yes. list as well so um, a lot of representation there but the interesting point about Mikhail Wright how does he factor into that um I don't I think when the season starts I'd be surprised if, if he's the starting cornerback but like he's really really good and obviously PFF who analyzes football better than I think either of us do thinks the same you know and, I, and having watched him now for a season, um, it's pretty evident he's going to be a, a big-time contributor at Oregon over the course of his career. Um, but with both of these guys coming back, it does kind of, it is a thing of, like, it would make a lot of sense if one of Grandma Lenore had gone pro. They're like, okay, right, just slides right in. It's a perfect fit. Now you're going to have a lot of competition for that. And we should mention that Oregon got its uh, third five-star recruit with Dante Manning being bumped up. Um, he also plays corner, and he'll also be here for 2020. So there is going to be uh, an immense amount of talent at that position battling for playing time. Personally, I don't see him starting the season above either of those guys, and I'm not sure th- over the course of the season I necessarily see him taking that job. But what Oregon has right now is an incredible amount of depth, and if one of those players gets injured, I'm knocking on wood. Um, if one of those players, uh, you know, has a, a poor performance or two, right is right there to step up. Um, but my sense, and I don't know what Matt thinks on this, so I'll turn it over to you in a second. Here is that I don't see either of those guys losing their job to write, at least not right away.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't see it happening. Um, I don't think Lenore or Graham will lose their jobs. I think it just speaks to the, the talent that they have at that position and in in that room. Um, because look, PFF did like their top. Uh, 30 defensive backs or whatever it was uh, in, coming back for college football. And Oregon had four guys listed. Um, And that didn't even include Brady Breeze, who was the Rose Bowl MVP uh, from a defensive standpoint and played on an All-American level the last four or five games of the season. It didn't include Varone McKinley, who was named a freshman All-American uh, for his entire season. And it didn't include Nick Pickett, who's been a three-year starter for Oregon, uh, on and off at another safety position. And those guys didn't make the cut. I mean, that's how good the secondary the secondary is for the Oregon football program and will be during the 2020 season. Um, will Michael Wright replace one of the two senior starters at cornerback? I don't I don't think so. I just think what we're going to see next season and what kind of what we saw this season, a continued rotation of guys. Out on the football field, uh, and they're just going to match up and, and, and play—you know—a continuous rotation of guys to keep everyone fresh because they know there's hardly any, if if at all, a drop-off when someone comes in for another person.
0: And just spitballing here, I think one thing in terms of I would be surprised if either Graham or Lenoir beat out for their cornerback positions, but I could see a situation here where maybe they find out that one of the three is actually equipped well enough to play nickel and you slide Javon Holland back to a safety spot and either Brody Breeze or Nick Pickett or Varone McKinley kind of loses their starting spot at safety. Um, and just as a way to get Mikhail Wright on the field. But at the same time, as PFF said in the story, I think Javon Holland's the highest rated nickel defensive back over the last two years based upon their rankings. So uh, do you really want to move him from a role? Obviously he's very, very adept in to try to satisfy something with Mikhail Wright. I don't know it's tough decisions. I mean, I think, Andy Avalos is going to have some tough decisions. You know, uh, Keith Hayward and Dante Williams are going to have some tough decisions, but decisions that suggest that the program, especially from a defensive backfield perspective, is definitely headed in the right direction. And this is undoubtedly, we wrote about it earlier when uh, all those guys decided they were coming back. I think this is undoubtedly the best defensive backfield Oregon has had in a handful of years. And frankly, I think we're going to start seeing some position group rankings once we get closer to the season where, where this group might be ranked at the very top of some national rankings just because that's how good and deep it is um, top to bottom. Third question from at Harry underscore boy, how productive will the wide receivers be with the new quarterback coach and offensive coordinator? And do you see any potential rising stars? How much of an impact will Devin Williams make? He seems to be an underrated guy. Um, A a lot of stuff to get to here on this question. Um, First off, uh what we saw from Mo- Moorhead at Penn State was very productive offenses from a quarterback perspective, from a running back perspective, and from a wide receiver perspective. You go back and look at just the, the statistics that they had there, and it wasn't like it was, oh, he ran the ball really effectively, but they couldn't throw the football, or vice versa. Uh, it was a very balanced attack at Penn State, continued to be a somewhat balanced attack at Mississippi State. Um, so I, w- I would say that the wide receivers should have an opportunity to be very involved in this offense. You know, jo- the guy that Oregon fans are familiar with, Jawan Johnson, had his best individual season uh, as a college football player under Moorhead his sophomore year, I believe. So uh, the upside is there for players to to have big upsides. And in terms of rising stars, I, I still look at Mikael Wright, or sorry, uh, Micah Pittman, as somebody that I go with and go, I don't think he's even touched touched on kind of the, you know, any of the potential that he has I think he can be so much better than what we saw this year he was remember I I don't think we saw a fully healthy Pittman until maybe the tail end of the regular season before he was injured the second time uh you know he missed a, a large part of the first portion of the season basically the first four games with injury he came back played about four or five games got injured again um I think if you see him healthy for a full season he is certainly capable of being a very productive player I would say somebody who could potentially challenge to leave the Lead the team in receptions and receiving yards, um, and then Devin Williams. I mean, you can say he's underrated based upon the recruiting rankings. I think he's actually the most highly rated player from a prep recruit perspective of the group, um, but he is somebody that maybe gets overlooked. Matt, and I, Matt was just talking about him as a guy who could start from day one, and I agree with that. I think the upside is is for him to to be there. You know, and I think if you look at wide receiver, you got Jalen Red likely starting in the slot again, and you got Johnny Johnson at one of the receiver spots. There's a spot open, and I think it's going to be Pittman and Devin Williams and maybe a Brian Addison, um, guys like that battling for it uh, because I do think there is some depth there, but certainly opportunity for some guys to, to take some steps. And I think Pittman and Williams are, are certainly two guys that make a lot of sense.
2: I mean, why can't Johnny Johnny Johnson have mm-hmm. an even better year than he did sure. in, in 2019? I mean, with uh, an offense maybe that's, a little more aggressive, or a little more passer-friendly, or a little just—I I think a little bit better overall. Why can't Johnny Johnson, a guy that had the best season statistically for Oregon, have an even better year next season? Um, That—that'd be one of my questions. I think—I think Jalen Red could be another guy um, who, in the slot, does a lot of damage. I mean, he's done a lot of damage the last two seasons there. You know, second on the team in receptions. Uh, I think third on the team in receiving yards first on the tied for first on the team uh, with touchdown catches with Johnny Johnson. So you're bringing back your two top touchdown creators, I guess if, if that's what you want to call it uh, for the receiver position with Johnny Johnson and Jalen red. But I agree with you. Like Pittman could be a guy who steps right in and has a big gear. If he can stay healthy, Um, Devin Williams, I've already said there, uh, I really think, chris hudson could be someone special whether it's in the slot or on the outside as a freshman um but devin williams uh i, I go back to devin williams lance will and jr waters i know oregon staff was extremely high on waters and will uh during fall camp before both those guys had different types of injuries that basically knocked them out for the entire season um I, I really think those two, one of those guys is going to kind of step up, uh, in the 2020 season. And maybe he doesn't lead the team in receptions, maybe he doesn't lead the team in touchdown receptions, but I, I think one of those guys will become a contributor, a significant contributor for Oregon during the 2020 season.
0: Yeah, I kinda of overlooked those guys in my roundup and, and I should say I got a story up on the site now of five players that redshirted in twenty nineteen who I think will have the biggest impact in twenty twenty. And I did include Lance Woolhoyt for a lot of the reasons that you're stating, and that he was somebody that Cristobal and the coaches really spoke highly of um before he got injured and then when he kind of was able to return at the end of the season, there was some discussion about him kind of joining that rotation a little bit. And it never came to you know, never really took place in part because it was late in the season and, you know, maybe it's hard to get a guy ready, but um, you're right. I think those are guys that you can't forget either in terms of wide receivers. I mean, I think the wide receiver position, you've got two guys that are, are set to be starters, and then you got a couple of guys that you expect to be big contributors, but it's it's not super clear of what this rotation will look like. And I think that's going to be one of the more fun things to kind of examine throughout spring and then into the fall, um, and just of kind of what that rotation will look like. Um, you know, how, how does Joe Morheads uh, addition to the staff possibly impact what they look to do and, and kind of maybe some of the personnel decisions they make but um there's a handful of guys you know maybe a little bit more than that we haven't even mentioned a guy like Isaiah Crocker who was highly rated a couple of years ago but hasn't really seen the field I, you know, I'm, I'm not super optimistic he's going to jump in and be a huge impact guy but sometimes it takes a couple of years for players to figure it out a player like Josh Delgado same sort of thing so um there there, there are definitely going to be Talented players available at wide receiver. It's just going to be interesting to see how all of that works together um, throughout the spring and fall. Fourth question from at Crisley 12345 Do you think the Ducks ended up taking a quarterback from the transfer portal? And if so, do you think he's brought in simply to bring depth to the quarterback room or to start? Personally, I want to see what Tyler Shutt can do. How do you guys feel? Um, we talked about this topic a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think it was maybe right after the Rose Bowl. Um, and it, it is an interesting one. I, I Part of me feels like, hey, you look at the depth at quarterback, and there's really no experience to be seen. And so adding a veteran quarterback would make some sense, I think. Um, a guy that can maybe challenge to start makes a ton of sense. At the same time, you kind of want to make sure Tyler Shuck has an opportunity to, to be the guy. Um, and do you really want to bring in somebody that potentially delays that a year for – I mean, talking about transfer portal, you're, you're likely talking about a grad transfer um, yep. in terms of somebody who's available right away. And a grad transfer is not coming across the country or from wherever they're at to sit out a year when they have a chance to be the starter somewhere else. And so I look at that and think it happens. And I think Matt brought up the example of what happened at Washington State a little bit last year with with Gordon uh, winning that job over a grad transfer they brought in from Eastern Washington. Um that is something that could happen. Oregon could bring in a grad transfer, and Chuck's just better and beats him out. But I also think it's hard to find the right personnel to fit that type of situation where somebody is willing to come across with no guarantees to be the starting quarterback and could be in a situation like that where, hey, I thought I was going to come in and be the guy in my last year, and now I'm not, and my collegiate career kind of ends in a weird spot or, or whatnot. So um, I think it's interesting. I also think there's, because of the lack of experience that they have currently on the roster— um i think it wouldn't be a bad thing to have an experienced quarterback in case there is an injury and say Tyler Shucks the starter he goes down and this is the worst case scenario i think we brought this up before but he goes down 5 games into the season he's out for the rest of the year and now you're stuck with a true freshman or a redshirt freshman quarterback for the rest of the year and that could be totally disastrous
2: i think it goes back to first um what type of offense is Joe Moorhead going to install at Oregon? Is it something that is very similar with some slight tweaks to what we've seen at Oregon this past season? Uh, or is it going to be, you know, a full spread where the quarterback is legitimately running the football on a consistent basis? And if that's where Oregon goes, then they have to look at, okay, who do we have on the roster? And does Anyone fit that type of quarterback that we need to run the football if we're gonna run the quarterback at all? Is Tyler Shuck the guy? Is Jay Butterfield the guy? Is Kale Millen the guy? What about Robbie Ashford? And are they good enough passers to also keep the defense honest? And if, if I think, if they, if they feel like they've got the guys there, I personally think don't go the graduate transfer market because like you said, more often than not, there's not going to be a guy out there that's going to be a two year guy. There's not going to be a lot of options in that regard. And you could risk getting an Anthony Brown, uh, you know, that, that's a graduate transfer or a KJ Costello, that's a grad transfer, uh, or a Lucas Johnson, someone that, um, is a one year player. And he shows up, and yeah, maybe maybe you go ten and two, or and and you win the Pac-12 North. Um, And at the same time, though, you lose Tyler Shuck because hey, he's tired of waiting, and he waited his, you know, he waited two years behind Herbert, and now he has to wait again for another quarterback. And then by the way, he has to battle Butterfield, he has to battle Millen, he has to battle Ashford, and he has to battle another quarterback that they could potentially bring in. In 2021, and if he doesn't win that job, he has one year left of college football, and he won't get to play at all. Uh, and he bounces. And so now all of a sudden you went 10 and 2, you, with a graduate quarterback, who graduates, and you lose his, your key backup in Tyler Shuck because he's tired uh, of waiting for another season, you know, to play. And was that worth it? Did, it? did that quarterback play better football and produce better results than what a Tyler Shuck could do? Uh, for the Oregon football program. I, I think that's the, the debate. Now there is a quarterback out there, Chase Bryce, Clemson's backup quarterback this season. He is a, a dual threat quarterback and he is a guy that can play in the pro style. And most importantly, he is a player who has two years of eligibility left. So if you're, if you're going to go out and find a grad transfer, I think that's the guy that you target because he could come in and if he beats out Tyler Shuck and you lose Tyler Shuck, you know, hey, Chase Bryce is going to be at Oregon for two seasons because he's got two years of eligibility left to play. Whereas everybody else on this that's available right now, KJ Costello, Anthony Brown, Lucas Johnson, Jack Richardson, uh, Joe Critchlow, Michael uh, Boudry, Mo Mohasson, all these guys are eligible to play right away at the quarterback position as grad transfers. And I don't think any of them uh, are any better than what you could get out of Tyler Shuck. And what makes Tyler Shuck, in my mind, better is he's only going to be a sophomore next season, so you know you've got potentially two more seasons with him at the quarterback spot uh, after the 2020 football season.
0: And just one kind of final thought on that. We do know, historically, at least over the last five or six years, the offenses that Moore has put out do run a little bit more RPO than what we saw at Oregon. And I should say, by a little bit, I mean... They actually run an RPO, which Oregon didn't really run until, like, what the last couple weeks of the, the the regular, you know, of the season this year when they let kind of Herbert, uh, you know, take off a little bit more. Um, so maybe it is something where they do want to bring in another quarterback to have some depth here who could run. Um, at the same time, I just don't see a grad transfer agreeing to come across the country for possibly being like a bit role quarterback. Um, I think you, he's going to want to
2: start, and Crystal yeah. Ball's not going to guarantee the starting position.
0: Exactly. So I just think it's a weird fit. Um, I mean, I think maybe may, maybe you find the right person to do it, but I, I don't see it happening necessarily. I think again, I, I I feel really good about what Tyler Shuck is and what his upside is, and I, I I think I agree with what a lot of fans have been saying in in that I just hate to see. Him lose a year, and then maybe Oregon lose him altogether because you tried to bring somebody in for a for a one season kind of flyer deal for a bridge year between Herbert and Shuck because you don't know if Shuck is ready yet, and then you end up losing him. I think that would be a real bummer because he has been somebody that I mean, look, you think about Oregon and backup quarterbacks over the last half decade or so, maybe even full decade, um, they haven't had a lot of guys as good as Shuck that has that have really received as many compliments as Shuck. Um, you know, you think back to some of the guys that have been thrown into some tough situations with injuries and they weren't players that are of his caliber. So I would I think you just hate to potentially lose somebody as good as Shuck because you tried to go a different route.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I think that you look at this team and you wonder, does, does Tyler Shuck's ability to lead this team get you a 10-2, and and 11-1 during the regular season, and is that on par or significantly better or significantly worse than whatever is out there from a grad transfer perspective? I mean, that's where it, for me, really boils down to. is Are you going to add anybody in the grad transfer market that you can definitively say that guy is worth two or three more wins than what Oregon has out of Tyler Shuck? I don't think there's anyone out there that you can considerably – legitimately say that hey this guy is significantly better than Tyler shuck is all right now let's take a quick break uh you're listening to the odds and audibles podcast
0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
2: All right. Welcome back to the and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Preymer. Scopal is with me as always. And before we dive back into these questions, I want to remind you guys, if you are not a VIP subscriber to DuckTerritory.com, why are you not? Do so now. You can get in on the action for $1 for your first month. After that, it goes to $9.95. Per month, and by going to the full price, we give you a nice little kick, uh, kickback. You get CBS All Access for free with your membership to DuckTerritory.com. That includes over 10,000 live shows, sporting events, movies, all commercial free, uh, in your subscription with DuckTerritory.com. It's a hundred dollar value. That comes with your membership for free if you subscribe to DuckTerritory.com. So get in on that. Uh, now, let's get to question number five of the mailbag.
0: This is going to be a fun one to go through here. Uh, at J-Dog, G-Duck, Dog. A lot of dogs in there. A uh, lot of ducks in there. Now that Tua Tagovailoa is going pro and Herbert has played his final game for Oregon, do you think Oregon got as much out of Herbert as they would have out of Tua had Fritch offered earlier? And this is probably one of the all-time what-ifs in Oregon football history. Right. I, did, I did a series on this a couple of summers ago, um, and I think I, I don't—I'm not—I don't think I ran through this because at this point, Tua was at the beginning of his career. But there was a lot of discussion when Tua was a high school uh, junior and senior about Oregon being kind of where he wanted to end up. Oregon kind of slow played, played him and didn't really prioritize him throughout the recruiting process. He ends up going to Alabama, wins national championship. The rest is kind of history. Um, so it makes sense that these two are, comp- you know, that Herbert and Tua are going to be talked about. Um, you look at the numbers, and Tua had a better career statistically. Um, you know, you can make an argument, and probably a very sound one, that Tua had a lot more talent. I mean, you look at the wide receivers on Alabama's roster the last couple of years, and you compare them to Oregon, and it's kind of apples and oranges, and that's not overly slight. What Oregon has, but you're looking at first, second, and third round talent, and basically everybody that that steps on the field with Tua at Alabama, and I think that plays certainly a role in his production. At the same time, I think, I mean, it's, it's this is hard because Herbert really is such a beloved figure for Oregon football right now. But I think I probably would would lean on lean towards Tua in terms of the intangibles, um, just the overall player he is. I know he's not quite the same size, a lot smaller than Herbert. Um, It's going to be interesting to see which player has the better NFL career. Um, I think that's going to be something that is is discussed quite a bit as well. But um, I think Tua brought something that Herbert never really did, which is kind of that ability to improvise and and make big plays. And that's kind of one of the things when you look at at Herbert, I'm not saying he never did it, but he was kind of a, either, either the play was there or it wasn't. You know, There were very few instances I can think of where he had to make his, he had, you know, to go to his fourth or fifth read or something, and, and or make something out of his legs and roll around and throw the ball downfield, which is something too was capable of quite frequently. We didn't quite see that as much out of Herbert, and I think in the modern, the, the way the sport is going, those are the type of players that that are really special. You think about what Patrick Mahomes can do, what Lamar Jackson's doing in the NFL. I think Tua's got the potential to be that kind of guy. I don't know if Herbert does. At the same time, you can't really go wrong with either player. I think Herbert had a fantastic, fantastic career at Oregon. And this last year was really one of the better statistical career, you know, statistical seasons and just overall seasons in terms of what the team accomplished that Oregon has ever had. It's up there as probably one of the four or five best individual seasons for a quarterback at Oregon. So it's hard. I don't think you can go wrong one way or the other, but um, I'd probably lean towards Tua. Um, maybe I'm going to take a lot of crap for that, but I think that's just kind of my honest assessment when you kind of look at the numbers and, and the careers that both of them had.
2: Well, I think to play, um, devil's advocate here for a second, go back and let's just consider, okay, so let's put Justin Herbert on the football team at Alabama and what does he do when he has those receivers, those running backs, that offensive line, um, th- the decisions to, you know, take a ton of shots and whatnot. I think Herbert's stats are are considerably better at Alabama's if if sure. he played with the same type of player that Tua played with uh, at Alabama, and vice versa. What happens with Tua if he shows up at Oregon and plays uh, the, the position with the receivers that Oregon had during the 2017, 2018, and then this season, 2019? Does he put up those similar numbers? I don't think he does. I, I think he's very good. Uh, I don't, I don't think though that he is the best quarterback or a top three quarterback in, in the conference, in, in the country because he had, he had every tool in the bag, whereas Herbert could not operate under the same, uh, oper, you know, operation as, as Tua did. Now, who's the better quarterback? I mean, I, I think Tua probably is the better quarterback right now, but, this is the the ultimate what if is we just don't know what, you know, Herbert never really got to play with a full arsenal of receivers, running backs and tight ends in his career at Oregon. There there was always whether it was depth, like they had they had three legit starters or they had four legit starters but they had no one available behind them or it was injuries uh or it was Herbert himself getting hurt. Uh or they had one really good guy and then a couple guys that you know, were solid, but weren't guys that would start at multiple other Pac-12 schools. He never had, I thought, the full arsenal at, at the receiver position for various reasons. And I think, I think Herbert's going to have a really good NFL career. I, I really think he's going to show up, and he's going to sit for a year or two, and he's going to get to work with some high-level athletes, and and he's going to, you know, have a, I think, a much better career than what a lot of people are are looking at him saying. If he gets that chance to sit and to develop for a little bit, if he gets put out there on a bad team, uh, like the Dolphins for, for example, I'm, I, I, I don't know if the Dolphins are going to pick him or not, but that example, he, you know, and he has to elevate the play of a bunch of other guys right away without, no, you know, fully knowing the offense and adjusting to the NFL. Yeah, he could struggle, but if he gets an opportunity to rest for a little bit and kind of get those air quote, redshirt season or seasons, kind of like what Aaron Rodgers did or Jimmy G did, um, he could he could be, I think, one of the better quarterbacks. He's got all the tools. He just needs time to develop.
0: And another, I guess now I'm playing devil advocate against myself here, but I also just think about maybe the play calling and the offensive coordinating at Alabama versus Oregon might have been different. Um, I look at the, and this is also due to the athlete, but, Tua average, and this is pretty incredible, 11 yards per pass attempt each of his last two seasons at Alabama. And for context purposes, Herbert averaged about eight during that span. I mean, that's pretty remarkable to have that mm-hmm. big of a difference there. 11 yards per pass attempt is, is pretty incredible. Um, part of that, I think, has to do with what we were saying earlier about just the, the different level of athlete. But I also think you watch Alabama play, and they were a lot less, I guess, risk-adverse than what Oregon was, I, I thought Oregon over, especially at times this year, really didn't take a lot of shots downfield, um, and I think that's another thing where if you're just looking at the statistics and the numbers and the production and the success, I think some of that might have to do with just how aggressive the play caller was for either side. This is a really good discussion topic, and um, for those listening, if you have a strong thought one way or the other, throw it in the comments on on the on the site or on social media because. Um, I'd be curious to hear what what kind of listeners think of this one, because I do think you could probably make a pretty compelling argument one way or the other. If you're just lining up the stats and comparing them and the careers, Tua clearly had a better career than than Herbert. I don't think anybody can really argue that one. But I do think there are so many kind of different pieces to this puzzle that you can have a pretty compelling discussion about which player you'd rather have um, playing at Oregon or at Alabama based upon... Uh, their individual skill sets all right sixth question from at scoducks fp as of right now who are the most likely additions to round out the 2020 class matt how many i guess first how many spots do you think oregon has available and then maybe run through uh, your top three guys that you think are most likely to, to kind of round this out
2: um, I I I feel pretty confident that Oregon's going to get a defensive tackle, defensive lineman prospect in the in the 2020 class during February signing period. So I would I would say um, DeAndre Butler is one guy that uh, is going to be coming out here for an official visit. He's a junior college prospect along the defensive line, can play D end or D tackle. Um, things may be a little bit different now with him because uh Oregon is bringing back awesome folio and jordan scott and so there's not really as much excuse me there's not really as much of a need for immediate help um so maybe that guy uh maybe things dip there a little bit but i do think they they could use um some someone at defensive tackle uh someone that, a guy that's got Serious size that can play nose tackle or D tackle. So Jason Jones, another guy, um, that's a four star. He's going to come out from, he's committed to Alabama currently. Um, Baylor, Oregon were two schools that he's really highly considering, um, as Alabama seems to maybe be going away fr- from him at the moment. Um, I, I think Oregon's a, a likely landing spot there, six foot seven, 340 pounds and, you know, just a, a I have a, a big belief of if look if you can go get a, a Southeastern e- type of defensive lineman um, that a lot of the big blue blood schools down there want or like or even if the blue bloods aren't after them, but you, you, they've got a handful of SEC offers and the ACC offers and whatnot take those guys opposed to taking you know the the three star flyer of, out west because I I truly believe look in the South that's where the best football is being played California Texas. And then in the South. And I think, I think a lot of the big guys, they come from the South. And so if you can find a guy like Jason Jones, who may have a little bit of a red flag because he had an knee injury at the beginning of, the, of his senior season, um, I, 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 say to heck with that. And if you've got the room and if you've got the, the pieces already, go out and get a guy like that because if, if you hit, he's going to be a star player. I mean, look at Jordan Scott. I mean, that was a guy that was a three star player that, you know, a lot of the SEC schools didn't want, yet Oregon took a flyer on him, and he's turned into a, an amazing player for Oregon. I mean, a guy for, that's that showed up day one and has started his first three years at, at defensive tackle. Brandon Dorless is another one. Uh He looks to be, a you know, a future stud for the Ducks. They've got another guy named Braden Swinson in this 2020 class. Um, so I've kind of gone off tangent here a little bit, but... Um, Jason Jones is someone I would really, really consider going after. Malachi Weidman, a, a four-star wide receiver, he's going to be on campus later this month. I think Oregon's got a really good shot there as well, um, to land that receiver. A guy that's, you know, six foot four, six foot five has the ability to, to bring size and, and um, you know, a huge catch radius to a position group that continues to try and upgrade itself.
0: All right. Sticking with recruiting, our next question from at Duck. G-R-8-ness, so Duck Greatness, where do you see the 2021 class finishing? Top 10? Top 5? Before I hand it over to Matt here on this one, currently Oregon is ranked 6th nationally, first in the Pac-12 after landing its 6th commitment earlier this week. We talked about on the podcast. Josh Simmons, a 4-star offensive guard out of Southern California, San Diego area. Um, What do you think, Matt? What's the ceiling for this group in this class? Um, And I guess... One thing is, is, is this going to be a class where they, they can take a lot of players? And if, if not, is that kind of maybe handcuff the possibility of being top 10 or top 5?
2: Yeah. Well, I think, um, right now the scholarship chart shows it's going to be a small class, but look, this is, we've said this every year the last couple of seasons. And yet Oregon's class somehow gets to upwards of 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25 guys. Um, I, I fully believe that. Oregon's going to have some transfers this summer. Um they're going to have some transfers this spring. They're going to have some transfers during the middle of the the 2020 football season. That's just the nature of the beast and with that with knowing that Oregon's going to operate with hey, let's kind of shoot for 20 and, you know, by December we'll have a clear indication if if we can go for 25 or maybe we need to pare down a couple cuz some guys didn't leave that we were maybe expecting we're going to leave. Um That being said, I, look, the ceiling, number one. Like, to to be honest with you, it's, it's number one because look at the players that are out west that are in the 2021 class that are considering Oregon. A lot of them are west coast guys that are high five star recruits. I mean, the Pacific North, Washington in of itself, I think has three five star guys. The number one player in the country is Corey Foreman, a strong side defensive end, high on Oregon. He plays at Centennial High School in Corona, California. The number four player in the country, uh, is JT Tui Maolo, uh, four-star defensive tackle, or excuse me, a five-star defensive tackle from Eastside Catholic High School in Seattle, Washington. He is high on Oregon. Emeka Aguba, uh, a, f- a five-star athlete from Steilacoom, Washington. It's in the Tacoma area. He's high on Oregon, and JT and Emeka are two Two prospects where right now signs are pointing they're leaving Washington and not staying and playing for the Huskies. Doesn't mean the Huskies aren't out of it, but they're, the, the perception of their recruitments is they're leaving the state, whether that's leaving the Pac-12, I don't know. But Oregon's a major player for both of those guys. Uh, you've also got Caleb Williams, a five-star quarterback from Washington DC. Uh, Joe Moorhead has history recruiting the Baltimore DC area. He's strong ties there. Uh, Caleb Williams has already high interest in Oregon. He was here for um, the Saturday Night Live event uh, that Oregon had during the summertime this past August. Um, high interest there as well. And you've got other five-star players uh, like Troy Franklin, uh, four star, a five-star wide receiver from Menlo Atherton High School uh, in, in California. Very high on Oregon. I think Oregon's probably the favorite right there to land him. Uh, they've got. I mean, th- those are just five-star guys. I've, I literally rattle off, you know, f- what five guys that are high on Oregon that are five-star prospects. Dante Thornton's a four-star receiver. Um, that was the first guy Joe Moorhead saw as offensive coordinator for Oregon from the Baltimore area. This is a player that's high on Oregon. He was here for uh, Saturday Night Live. He was committed at one point to Penn State, I believe. Uh, Moorhead was there when he recruited when. Penn State started recruiting uh, Dante Thornton. So, look, the reality is this. The ceiling is number one. They're going to have the pieces out there to go out and recruit uh, guys to compete for the number one class. I think, do they get to the number one class? That's difficult to say right now. They're going to have a shot. They're going to have a legitimate shot at the number one class. And I think th- the way things are, are trending, as long as Oregon football, this is a huge year for 2020. Because Ball went out in 2019, got to the Rose Bowl, won the conference championship, and and kind of proved that the secret sauce works under him and his his direction that he's taking Oregon. And now, if he can replicate that a second time with guys without the guys of a Herbert, without the offensive lineman, without Troy Dye, if he can do it again without those guys, Oregon stock is gonna you know skyrocket like it did during the 2019 season. I mean, we we think. Things are going well for Oregon right now. If if they can duplicate 2019 into 2020, where they make the college football playoff, or they win the rose, or they get to the Rose Bowl, or they they make another New Year's Six bowl game, 2021 from a recruiting perspective could and probably would finish in the top five.
0: I'll just throw one little. This is a not a question from a listener, but let me just throw a follow up at you, Matt. So Oregon now has three five star signees in 2020. If you put the over/under at three for 2021 in terms of five stars they could sign, would you take the under or would you take the over?
2: Ooh, it's a really good one because um, they're—I I won't say they're leaders for Foreman. They're—they're they're in it with JT. Uh, they're in it with Emeka. Um They are certainly in it with Caleb. That's four. You've—you've uh, you've also got the fact that Aggie Hall, a five-star wide receiver from Florida. Is, Gonna give Oregon some interest. Troy Franklin, like I said, that's six. Um, I would probably say under, if, if it was three, I would probably say under. Um, uh, okay. if it was two, I think they they have a really good chance at pick, at, at picking off three five star guys, but, I'm really kind of just – I'm going to play it safe and temper expectations a little bit and say they get two, but it kind of feels like I'm talking at both sides of my mouth. But I'm going to say two, but it would not surprise me in the lightest if they get more than that.
0: And it's funny because – this is the fir- 2020 is the first class in program history where they've had more than one and tempering expectations for 2021 now is, is that they'll have two. Um, but, uh, that, that just speaks to the, the way the program is recruited, you know, and, and elevated itself from that perspective. Well, it, and it's
2: also a diff, it's just a unique year in that, I mean, just look at guys that are five stars right now that are based out of the West Coast. Corey right. Foreman's number one, uh, JT is number four, uh, and then you've, You've got Emeka, who's number nine, and then Sam Howard is number eleven, uh, and then Jake Garcia is fourteen. Keep going down the list here. Rayon Davis is nineteen. Troy Franklin is twenty-three. So you've you've got twenty. You got thirty, or excuse me, twenty-nine five stars right now. In the composite 2021 rankings, seven of those guys are based out of the West Coast, and I mean, all of those guys aren't going to go to Oregon. Like Sam Heward, that that's a he's committed to Washington. He's a legacy guy. He's never going to go to Oregon. But the sheer volume of seven of five-star prospects out west, and the sheer fact that if you expand it out to the top 100 and look at all the players that are available for for Oregon to recruit out, you know, in their own region. It's it's a high list. I mean, there's a ton of talent out west in 2021, and I that's where I think they're gonna they're going to have a chance at getting the top 100, you know, a top five class because they could you know legitimately go out and 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 land seven, eight, nine, ten guys that are in the top 100 because so many of them are out west this season.
0: All right, eighth and final question from App right away now. Any updates on whether, on whether some of Dana Altman's high-profile recruits like point guard Jalen Green might sign with Oregon? Um, I don't know if we mentioned on the podcast. Oregon did pick up a verbal commitment from Jalen Terry, what was that, about a week ago, point guard oh. from Michigan. Um, not a five-star guy, but a top 50, top 60 recruit, a player to be, I think, really excited about. Matt, it, it, I guess just looking in general at, at the 2020 class, Terry's the only commitment right now. Are you expecting them to add a couple more guys or, or kind of what's the status at, you know, for basketball re- recruiting? Yeah,
2: sure. Yeah. Well, Jalen Terry was the big one because they only had, um, one point guard on their roster next season and that's, uh, Will Richardson. And now that they have Jalen Terry in the fold, they have two ball handlers, two primary ball handlers. I know Chris Duarte could, you know, he, he could play point guard if you really needed him to, but they have, Two now true point guards in Jalen Terry and also, uh, Will Richardson on the roster. Now it's going out and finding the best possible prospects that you can. Um, Jalen Green obviously is going to be the big dog. He's the number two, number three player in the country. Uh, this is basically Memphis versus Oregon in, in my mind. Uh, he, he's adamant, he said at the Hoop Hall Classic to Evan Daniels of 24-7 Sports that he is going to be going to college for one season. He's not going to try and play overseas. He's not going to try and figure out some kind of loophole to get into the N- NBA draft a year early. He's going to play one year of college basketball. I think Memphis is probably the school right now that's slightly in the lead, but he's evaluating, seeing how players improve, seeing how the teams improve, seeing how deep in and who comes back for next season. And uh I, I think Oregon's got a good rotation, a good core group coming back for for twenty twenty, at least on paper, uh twenty twenty one on paper. You know, a core of uh a coro, Richardson, Duarte, Lawson, Walker, uh, you know, I would assume and Dante, plus the the, the guys that, that are red shooting right now, Eric Williams, right. Gene Umari and Luke Werr, that's that's pretty Pretty stout. You know, Addison Patterson, I forgot to mention him. You know, they've, they've got a pretty good rotation already. They're already going to be, in my mind, a top 25 team next season, even with the loss of Pritchard, even with the loss of Shakur Juice and Anthony Mathis. So does Jalen Green look at that and say, hey, they're already a top 25 team. They've already got a good point guard coming in. And Green has said it's not, you know, D- D- uh, Terry's commitment doesn't impact his at all. He said as long as he's good, I'm, I'm good playing with him. Um. So that's good for Oregon there. Uh, they've also got another guy uh named Zaire Williams a five star recruit he's the fifth best player in the country small forward out of Sierra Canyon High School that's Bronny James LeBron James's son's high school team Dwayne Wade uh that that, that team's on ESPN on a regular basis now uh playing in front of crowds of upwards of like 15,000 people at NBA arenas as a high school program it's, it's nuts Uh, but he's going to be visiting Oregon officially, uh, sometime during the next couple of months. And Oregon's gonna have a shot here. He's six foot seven, you know, a a really long wing, a guy that could come in right away and and start for Oregon at the small forward or or shooting guard, power forward, wherever. He's that good of of, of a spot. And, you know, Oregon's a player here. Are they the favorites? Probably not. I I wouldn't say that, but look, Oregon's the most successful team right now um, on his list. He's got North Carolina, but they've kind of dipped a little bit this year. Most people think he's going to stay out West. And then, look, I I think Oregon's found their recipe of success, and that's going out, finding some grad transfer, and finding a junior college guy and and throwing them into the system and and letting them grow. And that's where I think things might be going where – Oregon goes out, checks the grad transfer market again, and also checks the junior college market and see if they can find someone that can come in and, and help the program. I, I I would ideally like to see them find another center because let's say, um, and Father Dante does come back, but does go pro that next year. They've only basically got Francis Acora who's a true center on the roster, and he, he'll be a senior um, after next season is played out. So, Go out and find another big guy that can help play the center position.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be an interesting offseason for this men's basketball program because last year, remember how much work they had to do during the summer to build this roster out? Um, but this could be an offseason that's somewhat uneventful if, if most of these guys return. I mean, only a couple of players are outgoing because of eligibility reasons. Only three players, the seniors you mentioned earlier, um, just seems like this could be a, an offseason that's somewhat uneventful, which has not been the norm under Dane Altman, where it seems like every off season there's two or three guys that they're tracking into July and August and maybe even into into the fall a little bit. So um, it will be interesting to see if, if this year follows form with that. And I think if you're an Oregon fan, you're pretty excited about having potentially a lot of players back for the first time in a while. Typically there's not a lot of players back, but when, when Altman does retain you think back to the, you know, elite eight year to the final four season, they retained a lot of that roster and how good they were with kind of a second year uh, playing together. Um, a chance, I think, you know, you obviously lose some key players, but a chance to be pretty darn, uh, similar roster wise from 2019-20 to 2020-21.
2: Now we did say that about this Oregon team last off season because I think we all thought, Oh, Kenny Wooten's coming back. Uh Victor Bailey's gonna come back. Miles Norris is gonna come back.
0: Uh, all maybe good points. King, maybe
2: get maybe they get lucky and Lou King comes back like he should and all yes. of those guys left.
0: All, um, all all good points. This could turn on the on a dime here and they could lose seven guys and we had you know completely out of left field.
2: So, so I, mean, I I will say this. Like this is just me going off of history. I'm not hearing this whatsoever and, and maybe for the, I think the second time in program history, no one leaves. But History has shown in college basketball, not just at Oregon, just in college basketball, guys leave in the offseason. And there's going to be a possibility, a high probability, that someone on this team right now that has years remaining of eligibility will not finish his career at Oregon just because he wants to transfer for some reason. That's just the way college basketball is today. And so it would not surprise me the slightest if someone decides, you know what? They're bringing in good players. They're bringing in a junior college guy. I'm out. So keep that in mind. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's mailbag. Thank you for sending your your questions in. Don't know what that was, but uh, thank you for sending your questions in. We will continue to do these every Wednesday as long as you send them, which based off of Eric's questions tells us that we're getting a lot of good stuff, we're getting a lot of good ones, uh, and we're getting – mass quantities of questions so thank you for sending those in uh for eric Scope and myself matt Prame, you've been listening to the Austin audibles podcast
0: adios amigos all right let me get a glass of water really quick for the second
1: one new cbs monday mcis is back